Legal Challenges to Disfranchisement Although African Americans quickly began legal challenges to such provisions in the 19th century, it was years before any were successful before the U.S. Supreme Court. Booker T. Washington, better known for his public stance of trying to work within societal constraints of the period at Tuskegee University, secretly helped fund and arrange representation for numerous legal challenges to disfranchisement. He called upon wealthy Northern allies and philanthropists to raise funds for the cause. The Supreme Court's upholding of Mississippi's new constitution, in Williams v. Mississippi, 1898, encouraged other states to follow the Mississippi plan of disenfranchisement. African Americans brought other legal challenges, as in Giles v. Harris, 1903, and Giles v. Teasley, 1904, but the Supreme Court upheld Alabama constitutional provisions. In 1915, Oklahoma was the last state to append a grandfather clause to its literacy requirement due to Supreme Court cases. From early in the 20th century, the newly established National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, took the lead in organizing or supporting legal challenges to segregation and disfranchisement. Gradually they planned the strategy of which cases to take forward. In Gwynn v. United States, 1915, the first case in which the NAACP filed a brief, the Supreme Court struck down the grandfather clause in Oklahoma and Maryland. Other states in which it was used had to retract their legislation as well. The challenge was successful. But, nearly as rapidly as the Supreme Court determined a specific provision was unconstitutional, state legislatures developed new statutes to continue disenfranchisement. For instance, in Smith v. Allwright, 1944, the Supreme Court struck down the use of state-sanctioned all-white primaries by the Democratic Party in the South. States developed new restrictions on black voting. Alabama passed a law giving county registrars more authority as to which questions they asked applicants in comprehension or literacy tests. The NAACP continued with steady progress in legal challenges to disenfranchisement and segregation. In 1957, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1957 to implement the 15th Amendment. It established the United States Civil Rights Commission. Among its duties is to investigate voter discrimination. As late as 1962, programs such as Operation Eagle Eye in Arizona attempted to stymie minority voting through literacy tests. The 24th Amendment was ratified in 1964 to prohibit poll taxes as a condition of voter registration and voting in federal elections. Many states continued to use them in state elections as a means of reducing the number of voters. The American Civil Rights Movement, through such events as the Selma to Montgomery Marches and Freedom Summer in Mississippi, gained passage by the United States Congress of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which authorized federal oversight of voter registration and election practices and other enforcement of voting rights. Congress passed the legislation because it found case-by-case -case litigation was inadequate to combat widespread and persistent discrimination in voting. Activism by African Americans helped secure an expanded and protected franchise that has benefited all Americans, including racial and language minorities. The bill provided for federal oversight, if necessary, to ensure just voter registration and election procedures. The rate of African American registration and voting in southern states climbed dramatically and quickly, but it has taken years of federal oversight to work out the processes and overcome local resistance. In addition, it was not until the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-3 in Harper v. Virginia Board of Elections, 1966, that all state poll taxes, for state elections, were officially declared unconstitutional as violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. This removed a burden on the poor. Legal challenges have continued under the Voting Rights Act, primarily in areas of redistricting and election systems, for instance, challenging at-large election systems that effectively reduce the ability of minority groups to elect candidates of their choice. 
Such challenges have particularly occurred at the county and municipal level, including for school boards, where exclusion of minority groups and candidates at such levels has been persistent in some areas of the country. This reduces the ability of women and minorities to participate in the political system and gain entry-level experience. Asian Americans Voting rights for Asian Americans have been continuously battled for in the United States since the initial significant wave of Asian immigration to the country in the mid-19th century. The escalation of voting rights issues for Asian immigrants had started with the citizenship status of Chinese Americans from 1882 with the Chinese Exclusion Act that was inspired by and built upon the Naturalization Act of 1870. The latter act helped the judicial system decide a person's ethnicity, and if the person was white, they could proceed with the immigration process. While the Chinese Exclusion Act specifically targeted and banned the influx of Asian immigrants looking for work on the West Coast due to the country that they were from and their ethnicity. Without the ability to become an American citizen, Asian immigrants were prohibited from voting or even immigrating to the United States during this time. Things started to improve when the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed in the mid-20th century, and Chinese immigrants were once again able to seek citizenship and voting rights. In spite of these setbacks, it was not a complete ban for Asian Americans. Simultaneously, a minority of Asian Americans were politically active during this era of the 1870 Naturalization Act and Chinese Exclusion. However, the Asian American community gained significant advancements in their voting rights later, with the McCarran-Walter Act of 1952. With this act, the Asian American community was able to seek citizenship that was not on the basis of race but on a quota system that was dependent upon their country of emigration. Shortly after the McCarran-Walter Act, the Voting Rights Act was signed by President Johnson in 1965. It thus came a new era of civil liberties for Asian Americans who were in the voting minority. Women. A parallel, yet separate, movement was for women's suffrage. Leaders of the suffrage movement included Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Alice Paul. In some ways this, too, could be said to have grown out of the American Civil War, as women had been strong leaders of the abolition movement. Middle and upper-class women generally became more politically active in the northern tier during and after the war. In 1848, the Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention, was held in Seneca Falls, New York. Of the 300 present, 68 women and 32 men signed the Declaration of Sentiments which defined the women's rights movement. The first National Women's Rights Convention took place in 1850 in Worcester, Massachusetts, attracting more than 1,000 participants. This national convention was held yearly through 1860. When Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton formed the National Woman Suffrage Association, their goal was to help women gain voting rights through reliance on the Constitution. Also, in 1869 Lucy Stone and Henry Blackwell formed the American Woman Suffrage Association, AWSA. However, ASA focused on gaining voting rights for women through the amendment process. Although these two organizations were fighting for the same cause, it was not until 1890 that they merged to form the National American Woman Suffrage Association, NASA. After the merger of the two organizations, the NASA waged a state-by-state campaign to obtain voting rights for women. Wyoming was the first state in which women were able to vote, although it was a condition of the transition to statehood. Utah was the second territory to allow women to vote, but the federal Edmonds-Tucker Act of 1887 repealed women's suffrage in Utah. Colorado was the first established state to allow women to vote on the same basis as men. Some other states also extended the franchise to women before the Constitution was amended to this purpose. During the 1910s, Alice Paul, assisted by Lucy Burns and many others, organized such events and organizations as the 1913 Women's Suffrage Parade, the National Woman's Party, and the Silent Sentinels. At the culmination of the suffragists' requests and protests, 
ratification of the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote in time to participate in the presidential election of 1920. Another political movement that was largely driven by women in the same era was the anti-alcohol temperance movement, which led to the 18th Amendment and Prohibition. Military. Suffrage was never extended to members of the military due to military status. Individual members of the military received suffrage in accordance with the distinct categorical extensions that occurred throughout the nation's history. Matters pertaining to military members' voting rights and elections in the United States have focused around two issues, absentee voting rights and requirements for nonpartisanship in election-related activities. Absentee voting rights. Many military members stationed overseas were historically excluded from voting, de facto, due to state laws pertaining to absentee voting. Scholars have written that state-level policies to allow absentee voting for military members were often enacted when a political party in power thought that doing so would improve their re-election rates. For example, at the time of the American Civil War, it was widely believed that military members would vote Republican, and thus, states with Republican governors and legislatures tended to pass bills allowing military members to absentee vote or commission election officials to go to the battlefields and garrisons to collect votes. States with Democratic governors and legislatures tended not to pass such bills. Similarly, a partisan controversy emerged over whether to simplify voting procedures to allow for absentee balloting for military members in the lead-up to the 1944 elections, given that fewer than 2% of military members on active duty would be able to vote under current state laws at that time. The military and the general public were thought to be highly supportive of absentee ballot measures that would enable military members to vote while stationed overseas in active duty. However, Following a December 1943 Gallup poll reporting that military members would favor President Roosevelt, a Democrat, by 61%, and the belief that the military vote could swing the upcoming election, a fairly split 78th Congress was slow to pass measures to enfranchise military members stationed overseas. Generally, Democrats favored enabling absentee ballot procedures for military members, believing that a majority of the members of the armed forces would support their party, while Republicans were generally opposed, believing that their re-election would be disadvantaged. An exception to this pattern was that Southern Democrats tended to oppose the measures because it would enfranchise thousands of persons who were disqualified under state laws, such as black Americans. The initial legislation, the Green-Lucas Bill, was rejected, and Congress instead passed a measure, which became Public Law 712, that made ballots contingent upon state certification. Federal legislation, such as the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act, UACAVA, of 1986 and the Military and Overseas Voter Empowerment, MOVE, Act of 2010 have removed the power from the states to control absentee voting regulations for military members. Military members are now able to absentee vote, no matter where they are stationed. Nonpartisanship in election-related activities. Military members are required to publicly maintain a nonpartisan stance on political matters while acting in their official capacity. They may not engage in activities that associate the Department of Defense with any partisan political campaign or elections, candidate, cause or issue. The Department of Defense Directive 1344.10 and the Hatch Act outline that members of the armed forces who are on active duty are permitted to express their personal opinions on political candidates, make a monetary contribution to a campaign, sign a petition to place a candidate's name on the ballot, and attend a political event as a spectator. Members on active duty may not participate in partisan activities such as soliciting or engaging in partisan fundraiser activities, serving as the sponsor of a partisan club, or speaking before a partisan gathering. In addition, all military members, including National Guard and Reserve Forces, are prohibited from wearing military uniforms at political campaign events. The Hatch Act allows most federal employees to actively participate in political activities outside of the workplace. There are, however, 
significant restrictions on fundraising, running for office in partisan elections and using one's authority in the political arena. Senate confirmed presidential appointees and career and non-career senior executive service employees are subject to additional limitations. Some notable military members, including William Tecumseh Sherman, George C. Marshall, and David Petraeus, claim that they did not vote in U.S. presidential elections. The three, along with many officers from Marshall's generation, abstained from voting in order to avoid any sense of partisanship that could impair their professional judgment. Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., was created from a portion of the states of Maryland and Virginia in 1801. The Virginia portion was retroceded, returned, to Virginia upon request of the residents, by an act of Congress in 1846 to protect slavery, and restore state and federal voting rights in that portion of Virginia. When Maryland delegated a portion of its land to Congress so it could be used as the nation's capital, Congress did not continue Maryland voting laws. It cancelled all state and federal elections starting with 1802. Local elections limped on in some neighborhoods, until 1871, when local elections were also forbidden by the U.S. Congress. The U.S. Congress is the national legislature. Under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, Congress has the sole authority to exercise exclusive legislature in all cases whatsoever over the nation's capital and over federal military bases. Active disfranchisement is typically a state's rights legislative issue, where the removal of voting rights is permitted. At the national level, the federal government typically ignored voting rights issues, or affirmed that they were extended. Congress, when exercising exclusive legislation over U.S. military bases in the United States, and Washington, D.C., viewed its power as strong enough to remove all voting rights. All state and federal elections were cancelled by Congress in D.C. and all of Maryland's voting rights laws no longer applied to D.C. when Maryland gave up that land. Congress did not pass laws to establish local voting processes in the District of Columbia. This omission of law strategy to disenfranchise is contained in the Congressional Debates and Annals of Congress in 1800 and 1801. In 1986, the U.S. Congress voted to restore voting rights on U.S. military bases for all state and federal elections. D.C. citizens were granted the right to vote in presidential elections in 1961 after ratification of the 23rd Amendment. The citizens and territory converted in 1801 were represented by John Chu Thomas from Maryland's 2nd, and William Crike from Maryland's 3rd Congressional Districts, which were redrawn and removed from the city. No full congressional elections have been held since in D.C., a gap continuing since 1801. Congress created a non-voting substitute for a U.S. congressman, a delegate, between 1871 and 1875, but then abolished that post as well. Congress permitted restoration of local elections and home rule for the district on December 24, 1973. In 1971, Congress still opposed restoring the position of a full U.S. congressman for Washington, D.C. That year it re-established the position of non-voting delegate to the U.S. Congress. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.